2: Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, how YouTube plan to recover from their anus horribilis while audio boom continue theirs. Could a UK streaming service revolutionise pay-per-view sports and are smart speakers ruining good manners? All of that, plus digital radio, Trump's analogue for the first time and the state of TV news in Scotland. And in the Media Quiz, we review the action at the BAFTAs. It's all to come in today's media podcast. And joining me today is something else MD Steve Ackerman and Heat Magazine's entertainment director turned podcaster, Boyd Hilton. Um, Boyd, I'd normally start by asking you what you're watching this week, but first, because yes. it's what I'm watching, Fair can enough. we all agree that Michael C. Hall's English accent oh. is uncanny and weird and odd?
3: Extraordinary, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, uh, we're so used to seeing him in Dexter and Six Feet Under, and, yeah, he's done an astonishing job being a kind of uptight Brit in the excellent safe on Netflix.
2: But doesn't it just leave you feeling... See, the thing is, it, if I listened to it and I didn't know it was him, yeah. it sounds like an English guy. I know, yeah. Seeing it coming out of his mouth... <laughs> it is weird. It just leaves you with a creepy
3: feeling. It's Slightly, but you get used to it. If you binge on the whole thing in, in eight hours... You get used to it. Then you? you get used to it, yeah. Okay, all right,
2: thanks for that. Steve, I've been reliably informed you have exciting news coming very soon.
1: We have some news coming out within the next week or so, yeah, uh, about a very significant investment we're going to be making in the podcast space and various things we're going to be doing around content and original content.
2: But you're not going to tell us what it is?
1: I'm not. Okay, all right, it's a heads up, it's a start. Uh, Boyd, what have you been watching this week?
3: Actually, well, I- what's good? I have been watching Safe, as you mentioned, on Netflix, which is brilliant, the Harlan Coburn thriller series. I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm a huge fan of Harlan Coburn. Else? oh I'm lo- loving The Handmaid's Tale the new Handmaid's Tale is that actually started oh. on TV or have I just seen it in preview I think I've seen I've I seen think you've pre- seen it in preview yeah. Yeah. I get oh, confused. he's lost track hasn't he sorry so I lose privileged. track I lose track um, the first two episodes of the new series of The Handmaid's Tale are unbelievably stressful <laughs> and, um, but it's worth it because
2: they're incredibly powerful yeah. and are you involved in this new magazine from Bauer about I'm TV box sets
3: bloody well am yes yeah. it's called Pilot TV Magazine it's out now at a local news agent near you and supermarket Four ninety nine, Steve it's a bargain it's the future of print journalism. So if you don't buy it, then effectively you're killing print journalism. Well, that's oh, if you yeah. do, I'll take that you're, sa- you're saving it. It's a new, actual, physical magazine about high-end, good quality television. And it's a
2: monthly glossy.
3: It's a monthly... We put out the first issue out. So is it's basically now? Empire for Netflix. It's Empire, not just Netflix. Empire, HBO, and Amazon, and Amazon, and yeah. Yeah. BBC. There's BBC stuff. Very, very English scandal. The new Russell T. Davis um, sh- shows in there. Alan Partridge new series preview, which is in there. It's, it's everything. We any. Good original drama comedy is covered.
1: And Steve, you guys at Something Else were a big part of the Mental Health Minute as well, weren't you? Tell us about that. Yeah, we were the agency behind it, so we created the actual audio that got played out across the country uh, and all the social media assets that have run on many many channels and created a massive impression so obviously really delighted to have been part of things but it was the it was the radio centre and the radio academy who were the big drivers behind the initiative in terms of getting all the radio stations in place Okay but if you missed it can you still go and catch up with that? Yes if you missed it um, it, it, it's still online it's still in various places Uh, certainly in social media form in terms of assets it's still available so yes go and catch it and it's basically a one minute message but it features some quite remarkable people in terms of Lady Gaga Prince Harry Prince William. William, Dame Judy Dench, Jess Ennis Hill, and David Harewood
2: because it you know you listen to the kind of classic radio for charity appeal, and something like what you 've just done does make that feel rather dated doesn 't it is, is that the way to do it now? Just go a- across social media and not just think of because radio is so powerful, but not just think of radio as the sole place to be trying to get people to donate
1: well, I think the radio element was a hugely important component and obviously the innovation here is that one piece of audio, one one one-minute piece of audio ran across virtually every station in the country at the same time. So we're kind of forcing you to hear that message, but obviously that, that, that is genuinely a first. There's very uh, few occasions when commercial radio and BBC radio have come together. It wasn't a charity appeal, so it wasn't asking for money. It was just a message raising awareness about mental health because this is Mental Health Awareness Week. And obviously, as you know, particularly with the Royal Foundation, that's something they've really got behind in a very significant way. Um, but the social media element around that, which was basically taking the audio and creating assets around that audio, was obviously hugely important as well, and it did trend worldwide when when that was released. Okay, now unusually, we have uh, three
2: men sitting together on the media podcast this week, so lads, 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 let's (laughs) talk about sports, (laughs) because uh, news has reached us of a billion-dollar deal to stream top-class boxing. Now, actually, you are both sports fans, are you? Do you watch boxing?
1: Yes, I'm not a big boxing fan, but I am a sports fan.
2: Yeah, okay. So would you ever pay per view for a boxing match, Steve?
1: Well, I wouldn't pay for a boxing match just because I'm not a boxing fan. Okay, but, so I, but I, I wanted would...
2: to differentiate what yeah. that meant, not a boxing fan. Yeah. Because some people say, "Well, oh, I like sports, but actually they do watch everything.
1: Uh, I don't think i pay for a boxing event, but I would pay for a sports event. I already do, because I already occasionally pay for Now TV to access the, the day pass, which is basically Sky's sports service. You can buy a day pass where you just pay six-odd quid and you get to watch the games on that day.
2: And Boyd, I presume... I do regularly uh You've spunked pay. hundreds of pounds on yes. boxing, have you?
1: <laughs> yes, <I, I>, <laughs> the exactly yeah. That's only because you can't watch that in preview, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Um, I think you are delineating why this particular service might not be coming to the UK because we already have quite a mature pay-per-view market, don't we? But yes. um, there's a plan basically to bring a sort of Netflix for sports model
1: based in the UK, but to the rest of the world. Steve, what are the details? So there's a business called Dayzone who are behind it and have got a huge war chest that they're putting behind it. They've already uh, bought up rights, so things like the the J League, which is the Japanese Football League. I think they've got various sports rights in Germany. Um, And actually, I mean, when you said it may not be coming to the UK because we've got a mature market, I'm not sure I necessarily agree, because when you look at the pattern of what's going on with, with TV and obviously much media, it is about being able to come up with global properties um, where one service can translate across multiple territories. And sport is obviously one of those few premium items that c- customers and the public are willing to pay for. After all, it's what a lot of Sky's business was built on, that premise of buying the football rights so that people would buy the service. So uh, so I think this is a really, really fascinating move. And the idea of being the Netflix of sport is something... I- you know, I can really buy into and really see as working. But
2: disrupt all you like, boys. I mean, mm. BT and Sky aren't going to let that happen, are they? They'll just create their own streaming service if it's a real danger, surely in this country.
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not convinced actually necessarily that that a, Net- a Netflix of sport is going to work because I don't think necessarily you are. If you, you know, I'm into football and I, I pay for the big boxing events that are on usually on Sky Boxers because it's more of an event almost. And so I'm not, you know, I kind of like to see these things because it's an exciting cultural. Thing um, interesting at the moment. Of course, Sky has split its sports channel. you used to have Sky Sports One, Two, Three, Four, etc., and they're now split into the actual specific sport So they're going the opposite way that you know you can have mm. Sky Sports Premier League channel and not bother with the cricket channel, whatever the hell, the other, and the motor racing channel. So the idea of one place that you pay subscribe to every month for a kind of slightly random gaggle of sports rights. But if I've, that was the I'm only place,
1: if that was the only place you could go to, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously the whole premise has to be built on exclusivity. Sure. So if that's the only place you could go to to get Premier League rights, and I'm not saying they're at that point yet, but that's really. I, I mean, but I would be amazed if you get to the point where
3: the really big um, sports that you that, that you know that I'm interested in, I need to follow and I would need to watch on TV are going to be in that area of a subscription channel. If you like, you know, if, if you really think of it as equivalent to Netflix, you know, the incredible thing about Netflix, and we'll talk about it more in a minute, I'm sure, is that. Um, their content—they do have literally some of the most premium drama, for example, rivaling if not better than the rest of the world's drama. Certainly as good as. Whereas I can't see that happening in the sport arena. No, but isn't this right But
1: isn't now? this the same debate that happened when Sky Sports launched? The yeah. idea that well, surely, surely the football companies won't sell their rights to this this tiny player when no one's got a satellite yeah. dish, and why would they do that? They'd be cutting off their hair, you know, cutting off their nose to spite their face, and all that sort of thing. Actually, at the end of the day, as we've seen with certainly with with football rights, money absolutely. Talks. Sure,
3: but Sky was murder, wasn't it? And BT Sport is BT Sport. This is Eddie Huns' company. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just yeah. saying. It feels like a smaller a smaller endeavour to me, and I'm sure it'll be a success in its own in its own right. Maybe, but, but also... I can't see it rivaling as you as you asked me. The Sky BT situation right now.
2: There's also the question of multiplicity, though, isn't there? So, you know, Sky ultimately won, I guess, because if you were really into one particular football team, you could be guaranteed you'd see all their matches. Whereas, obviously, when they were on the well, BBC not all of and them. ITV. The,
3: the ones that are on TV. Well, exactly. Yes. All the
2: matches that are broadcast. What's <laughs> yeah. different about this is you really could see all of them. You could see, you know, that BT and, and Sky have rights to matches they never screen because they don't have enough outlets sure. to put them on. So that does kind of make sense, doesn't it, for a streaming. Service you can actually literally choose the ones you want to well, watch.
3: Yeah, that would be the revolution if they could. In that, but that would be a, a revolutionary situation because at the moment, very much, you know, everything is geared towards not allowing each football club. To have give away all the rights to their to their games to, to any particular channel, so and that's to ensure a,
2: people still come through the ten Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah,
3: so that would be a massively controversial move, you know, yeah. if and when that happens. And I'm sure eventually it probably will, because you know this this, this like feels like an inexorable move towards being able to watch everything somehow. Then all bits are off, but I can't see that happening for a long
2: time because that would be a huge step change. Okay, and uh, we've seen the rebirth of a kangaroo this week, boys. Tell us about that. Yeah, so
3: this has been going on for years, that, you know, ever since the idea of a streaming television thing um, came up, you know, ever since the iPlayer was invented, um, the idea that the big UK traditional, in quotes, terrestrial channels, BBC, ITV, Channel 4, would group together to come up with some kind of streaming service for their mainly for their archive I think rather than their current stuff
2: and this was called Project Kangaroo Project in Kangaroo. 2007 and it, yeah. the government then said no yeah because it was too stifle competition yes yeah, so it was stifle
3: competition of course now now we've got um, plenty of streaming services uh, particularly Netflix and Amazon in this country Hulu in America I think Hulu's going to come here at some point isn't it That's the, but
2: I don't know when well I suppose that depends on the Fox Disney deal doesn't it yeah. Anyway,
3: yeah I don't know if they need I, don't, I now I feel slightly like an old fashion notion that they need to do this because they've all got their own streaming services anyway there is a lot of archive available on BBC iPlayer anyway. There are ways of tapping into that without the need to do this particular thing so I'm not entirely sure why it has come up again.
2: Well presumably Steve the technology underneath it would still direct you to the same digital file on ITV Hub or 4OD or wherever it's hosted anyway it's just a sort of overlaying system isn't it to recommend stuff and that's the thing isn't it you watch something on iPlayer it recommends something else from the BBC whereas this could be across British TV.
1: Well I think the reason it's come up is obviously because this is a in a sense a a rearguard action against the rise of Netflix and Amazon. I mean, when you see the stats of take-up over the past 12 months, with actually Amazon's uh, take-up going faster than Netflix, it's, it's really, it's quite astonishing. And if you were Channel 4 ITV or BBC, I think you'd be looking at that with a, with a pretty sort of worried frown on your face. So um, coming together, I think, is, is in the one sense, you, you could say it's an imperative. In the other sense, I wonder whether it's too little too late.
3: Yeah, I think it probably is still a little too late. It depends on what they're trying to do. Because at the moment, they're selling a lot of their rights to those people. You know, you can see a lot of BBC, Channel 4 and ITV archive now on Netflix and Amazon. Well, of
2: course, Channel 4 don't have the rights as other archived no, because sure. it's made by indies. So but, that complication... But shows too. that
3: were on Channel 4, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure, exactly. But I wonder whether... You know, they have to weigh up, don't they? The BBC, for example, has to weigh up. Do they want to... There's a revenue stream there already. Do they want to... Th- th- and they have got their own revenue streams anyway, in terms of BBC Worldwide, etc., do they really want to? And and the thing, the USP about Amazon is is that it's cool and it's branding, and that young people particularly are flocking to it in droves. Um, and now more and more Amazon, but I still think Netflix has got Netflix has still got way more subscribers. Yes, um, a, than Yes, a, a lot more. Yeah, and I think that and I think that has a lot to do with the brand and its particular con- brilliant. brilliant content. I mean, not all of it is great, of course. A lot of it's rubbish, like any like any service. But um, it's really worked in terms of the brand, and I think that's probably. And I think the BBC. And the other channels particularly look at it going, oh, God, there's people... You know, my niece and nephew, who are teenagers, they watch Netflix. Mm. And for them, TV is kind of defined by that. They're not watching some... At least they're not saying they are watching some programmes going out live on the BBC.
2: But looking forward five, ten years, that generational stickiness could be its undoing, couldn't it? You know, things that are trendy with young people become untrendy when they get older. And... You know, iTunes was the only place to buy music 10 years ago. Now no one's buying music at all. They're streaming. So it's well, possible, th- isn't it?
1: Well, it is possible. But I think there's, a, there's, a, there's obviously a big issue about, about habit and about branding. And, you know, if we hone in on the BBC, a great fear and issue for the BBC is about attracting young audiences to the BBC brand, mm. actually for audio as well, because that's why they're making this move into podcasts, for the same reason that they've got, I think, 2 million young people who don't listen to BBC radio in any form or tool but do listen to audio similarly TV you're absolutely right there's there's lots and lots of uh, information and stats now showing how, amongst young audiences, platforms like Netflix are a much bigger part of their media consumption than BBC iPlayer. Where, well, if you think about the political implications of that, if you have a generation who don't use the BBC, you then start to get to, to a position where it's very hard to justify a BBC licence fee.
3: I'm still of the opinion that actually, when it comes down to it, probably if you're a young person and you're on your and for you, television right now is Netflix. Kind of when you reach 30 mm. and you're in "quote settling down," to use that awful phrase. You probably want to slump in front of a TV and watch Extenders still. So I kind of think it's not that much of a problem as they might think it is. I think in the end, people will migrate back to old school television. I still think sitting in front of a big screen in your living room is a thing that will never go
2: away. But then I only watch Netflix on my big screen anyway. Sure, I I mean, well,
3: let's not ignore the fact that the huge um, shows that get watched by vast majority of people are still on BBC on ITV. You know, thirty million people are watching Blue Planet. God knows if that will ever happen on Netflix or Amazon Prime I still think that.
2: Let's talk about print now and the theatre critic Lynn Gardner has had her contract discontinued by The Guardian after two decades to much dismay. Boyd, Over 100 theatre people have signed a petition to protest Lynn's departure and these are people that you know run sort of yeah. our flagship arts organisations. Yeah. They say this is going to have a major negative impact on the industry. Yeah. Uh, are they right?
3: I was surprised, I have to say. She has a reputation, a well-deserved reputation for not just, um, you know, reviewing the kind of mainstream big shows in mm. the West End, you know, but she will go to the small independent spaces where new work is going on and new theatre companies and all of that. And she's been doing it for decades. And it's, those kind of shows survive on being reviewed in The Guardian by her, mm. whereas they've kept... Michael Billington the old white guy so it felt odd I mean
2: mean, to be fair to Michael Billington he is the country's preeminent theatre critic isn't he it's not because he's an old white guy it's because he is well established he's definitely well established I'm not
3: arguing that but I think it sends out an interestingly odd message the female who is you know who's been writing about less obvious stuff. Who slaps off to Swansea to watch the weird stuff? Right, yeah. exactly. Is, is 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 got rid of? And in the Guardian saying they're going to bring in new voices. I'm sure it's fair. It's hard to to criticise any publication for getting rid of particular stuff, but.
2: But she is hugely treasured, and but I just but, think isn't it isn't feels just cost-cutting, really. I mean, when you say bringing in new voices, well, that's what the Guardian says they're it, doing. Yeah, yeah, sure, but I mean, you know, new voices cost less, don't they? That's the thing. She's yeah, on but, a contract to write mean, a certain number of reviews per year. I don't know.
3: They're probably surprised by the backlash, I imagine.
2: And uh, Steve, I don't want to say this to Boyd directly, but could <laughs> it be the case that critics? Uh, are often there really reputationally? You know, they're not there necessarily because people read them. They're there because it's important for the Guardian to have a theatre critic.
1: Well, I'm not even. Sh- I mean, is it important for the Guardian to have a theatre critic? Well, for in this? the theatre industry and in this for the fact, Guardian, it's being important a certain... for the theatre industry. And it's interesting what you said, Boyd, about she's really sort of treasured by yeah. the theatre theatre industry. You know, I do wonder if the world has moved on a bit. I've had very little to do with the theatre industry, what I have had to do with it has been more on the marketing side, and I've been astounded at, really, it is one of the sort of more uh, less modern, forward-looking industries within our media landscape, I would say, in terms of how they approach selling themselves and marketing themselves.
3: I think probably in terms of TV, you know, there are fewer TV critics now in, in, in the papers than ever before. Um, maybe even film, you know. But I still think critics serve a very important service. And I still... Criticism is an art in itself. This is, my, this is the important point. And, you know, you read Lynn Gardner and The Great and and, and and other really good critics in all different areas. And I think The Guardian's all about that kind of content, to use mm. that horrible word. So I would just miss reading her reviews. And I think if she also gives a five-star review to an obscure show somewhere mm. in a region in the country without wanting to stand patronising, that is still going to be an immensely powerful... Um, Piece of writing, and it will still send, and it still will drive people to that show. And because theatre is a much smaller enterprise, you know, literally than, for example, TV and film reviewing, so it is probably more important, I think, in theatre that something gets a really good review.
1: I suppose my question is, is I mean, I agree with you that being a critic is an art within itself, absolutely. And we have some, you know, some some really fantastic examples of that in the country. I suppose the question is, is a newspaper the right platform for that in a modern age where people can blog and they can do videos and they can that they they can have a presence within social media and you're you're a good example of that genuinely without sort of blowing (laughs) blowing smoke I mean you know but you are a good example of that of someone who who has a presence beyond the pages of heat magazine sure um, and and who has forged a a reputation for being knowledgeable in your field but but you have a presence across multiple platforms and and I suppose my question is here's someone who, who who had a bit more of a old-fashioned approach and was in the newspapers of a magazine and is that necessarily the way forward in terms of how we review um, and, and how, how as members of the public we get information on, on what we should or shouldn't see. I, I do think that maybe there's a difference in how much you pay as well to go and
2: see a show. I mean, not necessarily with a fringe show, but if yeah. you're going to the West End, I still look at critics for the West Definitely. End because I think it's going to cost me 60 quid. It's absolutely. not like a choice about what I'm watching that night.
3: And like, Honestly, it's absolutely the case. That if a show you know starts off not in the West End and it gets five-star reviews left, right and centre, that will absolutely drive people to see it and that will end up getting that transfer to so That is kind of partly, not entirely, but partly how
2: it works. Okay, just before the break, uh, a few weeks ago, we mentioned that Podcast Network Audio Boom was the subject of a reverse takeover. Uh, we've heard now on Wednesday that has been nixed and that the company is weeks away from running out of money. Uh, so far, so SoundCloud. But there have been podcasters online now sharing stories of not being paid uh, for the advertising that they've done on behalf of Audio Boom. Responding to angry podcasters, Audio Boom COO Stuart Last said. Our hands have been tied during a big corporate deal. That has now gone away, so we can
1: start the process of making this right. Uh, Steve, do you think they can make it right? Well, I don't know the ins and outs of their business, but one thing I would say is that that doesn't sound to me like a valid excuse in terms of it can be terribly distracting when you have corporate or or M&A activity going on, but that's no excuse for for the everyday running of your business and making sure, certainly from a sort of cash flow and payments perspective, that that is running in a very sort of smooth way. So that doesn't suggest to me, though I have no knowledge of this, so I I want to be careful, but that doesn't suggest to me an organisation that's necessarily being run as well as it should be. And also, just from a PR perspective, um, okay, not every podcaster who came
2: out alleging they haven't been paid, we have obviously verified to see if they're telling the truth, but there were so many of them that it would seem to be the case that most of them are. That's not good publicity, is it? The whole point of podcasting is people relate to the individuals who are in their ears. And then if they go on social media and see that they're not earning money for the ads that they've been reading, that just, it's the worst possible advertising for Audio Boom.
3: Well, particularly when, you know, I don't know everything about it either, but my impression is that their whole USP was that they were, this is the place to come to if you want to. Monetize your podcasts and we'll help you do it. And well, if if, if that is the one thing that's now not happening for various reasons, then that is pretty, pretty tragic.
2: I mean, all of these companies, though, don't they, do sort of have uh, uh, a bigger, what's the phrase I'm looking for, bark than their bite, perhaps, Um, in that, you know, every podcast hosting company that offers you free hosting in exchange for ads, whether they're inserted dynamically, like we were talking about the other week with Acast, or whether they're um, baked in, as it were. All of them promise to make you a millionaire, and basically, you know, unless you're Adam
1: Buxton, that ain't going to happen. Well, I, I, I'm not sure it's quite as black and white as that. I mean, you certainly need to be, um, you know, doing significant downloads to make decent money, but I also think, um, I mean, you know, I've just come back from the states a few a few a few weeks ago, and there is no doubt about it. Um, podcasting and the whole audio space is incredibly exciting and I don't think necessarily in the UK we quite understand the size of the opportunity and the speed at which this is moving because when you look at the patterns of consumption that's going on amongst uh, in, in all the major markets so US, UK, Australia, Canada we see the same thing which is take up of podcast listening so on demand audio basically is moving really really quickly and so I think with companies like this they're playing you know they're trying to get markers down to be part of that picture going forward so though we may not see the money or significant money materialising yet for many podcasts, I think we will do going forward because this is a market that is growing now at a real breakneck speed. Okay, I suppose what I'm saying is if podcasters ever ask me for advice, people who are starting a new show, they say, should we go with
2: one of these hosting companies that's going to put ads in for us? I always say, yes, because you might as well supplement your income. The audience are used to hearing the ads and you'll get some pocket money, but you shouldn't rely on it. But is that the wrong answer? Perhaps the answer should be no, sell your own ads. Because even if you only sell one in every 10 episodes, you'll
1: make more money and you will be paid. No, I don't think so, because I think when you look at someone like cast, they've got a significant sales team who are are out and about. They're in with all the media agencies. um, And obviously what they're doing is packaging up um, a number of podcasts together to form a, a sizable audience that they can sell to advertisers i think the answer is if you want to make significant money make sure you're doing a podcast that can appeal to mass audiences don't go for small 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 niche audiences because then you won't see significant money and that's no different from any other form of media at all whether he it's says, magazines or, or telly <laughs> But
3: isn't podcast a weird thing where it strikes me... I don't know about the American ones, but it strikes me... When I look at the podcast chart, and I know know there's interesting ways of getting in the podcast chart, but it strikes me that actually the, the seemingly niche ones, as you put it, are the ones that tend to do really well in this country, whereas the kind of mainstream you know, kind of sounding podcast in terms of the content which feels a bit like a kind of normal radio show are the ones that don't necessarily do so well. Well, So there's almost like a niche in podcasting kind of is mainstream,
1: isn't it? I think when I'm talking about mainstream, I don't mean it needs to sound like a radio show. Uh, I think you could look to the TV model in a similar way where there's been breakout hits that no one would have necessarily guessed um, but which you can look in retrospect and go, oh, of course it's mainstream because loads and loads of people love it, uh, you know. And obviously, I know it's a cliche, to, but you know, my dad wrote a porno is the classic example of that, where 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 no one would have necessarily anticipated that that was something that could have mass mass appeal, and yet it has it has done so. That's a niche proposition, isn't it? My dad wrote a porno,
3: and even 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 Adam Buxton. Adam Buxton in TV terms is niche, mm. but in podcasting terms, he's massive mainstream. Mm. That's my point, really.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I'd see something like Adam Buxton, isn't it? I mean, you know, I think Adam Buxton in the podcast... Well, he hasn't were, had a
3: TV show for decades. No, so a reason for no
1: that. but what I mean is he's similar to Harry Hill in the TV world. That It's, it's slightly unorthodox humour. Uh, it, it, it appeals to a certain demographic, but it appeals to enough people to have success. Well, but the people who like success, it love it, don't they?
2: That's exactly. The uh, OK, right. Well, just <laughs> worth me reminding you that uh, we survive on the mixed ecology of your donations and the small amount of money we get from advertising. Speaking of which... Now... You never know when you might need a friendly production house to edit a TV show or record a podcast or just to have their free coffee. Run VT is the central London production house that the media podcast is proud to call home and they did just give me a free coffee. With 15 offline and two online editing suites, a base like grading theatre, a dubbing suite and a voiceover booth, they really have everything you could need to edit your next show. To see what RunVT Studios can do, check out Bad Tenants Rogue Landlords on Channel 5 at 8 o'clock tonight or on 5 On Demand. And to find out what they can do for you, go to runvt.tv now. Time for some media news in brief now, and Boyd and Steve are still with me. Uh, Up to 34 jobs at commercial broadcaster STV2 are at risk, as the network has announced a move to digital-only output. Uh, Steve, do you think the chief exec, Simon Pitts, is right to focus investment on future-proofing his news business in this way?
1: Well, he's certainly right to try and future-proof his business, and if my understanding is correct... In terms of STV two, I think it was an amalgam of lots of the local city licenses that had been bought up to form to form STV two. And I, I, I definitely remember being on this podcast on previous occasions talking about those city licenses and, and just what an ill-conceived idea it was that came out of a government minister's head, Jeremy Hunt, where he, had, he, he kept trotting out that line that if Birmingham, Alabama in America can have 10 TV stations, then certainly Birmingham in the UK can. And, and it, was, it, it, it was so ill-conceived, and we've seen that right across the board. I mean, I think the whole project is now being shelved isn't it and certainly even in london a massive city we can see that it hasn't worked so the idea that you mean you don't go home and watch repeats of minder on london live i'm afraid london live (laughs) is not on my tv radar so anyway so i don't think there's any any surprise here and in a funny way i think this ties back to the story we were talking about before in terms of uh bbc and itv and channel 4 coming together and um being able to compete with netflix because this is really this is all wrapped up in the same thing which is massively challenging times for traditional TV broadcasters as they are faced by these global monsters who are coming into the picture. And we haven't even talked about Apple, whose investment dwarfs both Netflix and uh, Amazon. So I think that's that's really the sort of sub theme that's running through both this story and the story earlier.
3: Do you know, by the way, talking of Apple, do you know that no one... Apple is commissioning... I keep telling everyone this it's so interesting. Apple is spending vast quantities of money commissioning huge stars and huge production companies to make stuff for them, and no one yet knows, and they have not told anyone how they're going to put it out and where they're going to put it out and how people will be able to watch it. There you go.
2: Which is what Audible did as well. Right, but it's slightly big with Apple, isn't it, Yeah. And TV? <laughs> well, sort of, but it's Amazon versus Apple, isn't yeah, it? Sure. Yeah, sure. But sure, telling yeah. is quite a big deal. Sure. What do you suspect that means, Boyd? I think it means that
3: Netflix and Amazon are probably quite scared right now because they just don't know. You know, Apple is keeping their, their, their plans up their sleeve but announcing these huge commissions. Do you think never it might mean a new app? I think more than that, I think it might mean a new, some new hardware. I think it might mean a new software as well. I think it might mean both. Mm. But certainly not. It's definitely means something
2: new. <laughs> or possibly even just bundled in with an iPhone. I mean, that would be a way of keeping people Apple, wouldn't it?
3: Well, I sure. think,
1: yeah, I mean, I think, don't forget, obviously, with Apple, the big advantage they've got is they've got, hundreds of millions of devices in homes all around the world. And they haven't overtaken Spotify on the music front, but obviously that was a similar uh, thing they were able to do with Apple Music, where they could launch it instantly Mm. and it just appeared on everyone's phones. And and they may not have overtaken Spotify, but they do have many millions of people, including myself, subscribing to that service. So I think on the TV front, that's the advantage they've got. Okay, but we're not talking about Apple, we're talking about STV. Um, I'm obsessed
3: with that that, that thing.
2: um, I mean, it's a different audience, STV, but... If you were to compare it to BBC3, which I'm now going to invite you to do, <laughs> is going digital only a valid proposition
3: yet? Yeah, I think I think it's valid for that kind of operation, yeah. I mean, you know, STV2 was all about local services, you know, in Glasgow and Edinburgh, etc. And if it's not working, if they're not getting enough viewers for it to be an old, an old school TV channel, if you like, linear mm. TV channel then it strikes me as being fair enough in a way and actually I have to admit the BBC 3 model which I did openly deride many they, times on this very many show. times on this podcast I've kind of been proven wrong. I hate to say it but it kind of hasn't worked in the sense that they're producing some brilliant particularly comedy content some drama but you know amazing comedy stuff like this country people just do nothing it's kind of better than what they were doing maybe five years ago when it was a, just, a, a cha- just a channel on TV.
1: But I think there's a big difference which is um, with BBC Three, mm. and I, I was one of the people who was saying that was a right move because they went where the, where the audience were. But I think the difference with STV is, when we're talking about local content, I'd really question whether there is that much demand for people in Edinburgh to watch TV shows about Edinburgh or news about Edinburgh, mm. when that's so easy to get in yeah. so many other places these days, as opposed to BBC Three, which is obviously something national and is aimed at a, sure. a very wide demographic. Yeah.
2: And yeah, an STV was actually the success story that was flagged up when we were talking about local TV, wasn't it? People said, well in Scotland it's different. People like it in Scotland because it's a distinct flavour. If it's not working there, you do think, well
1: but, you know, STV's a national Scottish station. Then mm. with STV2, you're boiling it down to the cities within mm. Scotland. So you're really going micro. And, and, and I'm just not well, that's sure... That's what the
3: government wanted. But in, in actual fact, as you say, not enough viewers are watching it.
2: OK, let's go from micro to macro. YouTube, after a testing year for execs there, bosses are staking a claim on original programming with big-name stars. Boyd, tell us about some of these formats.
3: Well, I know that Jack Whitehall's World Cup kind of football show okay. has, arri- is, has arrived I think already on YouTube um, and um, they are cl- and also, there's also this, they're also commissioning Amazon Netflix style original dramas as well by the way you know and I think they're going to be this YouTube Red channel I was invited on set in fact for some huge big new science fiction thing that is going to be on YouTube so it seems to be the case that they're going back on the YouTuber influencer and going down the more traditional big is better famous people on TV, um, you know, like the rest of television does. And I think it's interesting because I've always kind of felt deep down that there was something faddish about the whole YouTuber thing of, of these. You know, and I always felt, and by and large, when you look at them, I remember looking at, you know, they have a, a, there was a, there was a um, kind of live event every year, almost like the YouTuber equivalent of, I don't know, the Ideal Home Show uh, in Olympia or something, <laughs> you know, where all the... Biggest YouTubers, <laughs> the best mashup reference, ever. right? All the biggest YouTubers and their fans would gather, yes. and you, and I remember being sent right the the menu and and all of the faces, and it was literally like nineteen out of the twenty of them were young white people, most of them blokes with a few like women. It felt so non diverse that I was stunned and shocked and amazed, and I think it. It's, I feel it's carried on that way, and I feel that can't go on forever. And I feel like the, the teenagers who, who were consuming that stuff are kind of moving on now. So I think maybe that it was a fad, and it's going to go back to being
2: something bigger. Steve's
1: creative. shaking his head. I mean, I do I do agree about you know seeing YouTube now move to to sort of more traditional yeah. content, but I think there is still a space for influencers, and and we can still I mean, you know the the, the online work we do around the brits we see that where we bring influencers in and they have a massive massive impact on the audience but i think maybe what's dissipated that a bit is whereas a few years back the reliance was mainly with youtube and creating video on youtube there's now a wider array of platforms where those people can put their output out and particularly instagram is Mm. is proving very very impactful in terms of reaching
2: it's more addictive isn't it if you if you're talking about the kind of audience body which is basically not to be patronizing but i am 14 year old girls sort of using a sort of boy band template isn't it like I yeah. like this guy he's like my older brother he's really cool it's no longer enough to just wait for his video to drop every day. Yeah. they want to follow him on Snapchat, Instagram see everything he's doing
1: that's right and then I wonder in terms of the commissioning of content whether there's a slight rearguard action going on there where they can see uh, you know Facebook Watch is obviously going to be coming to the UK at some point it's already launched in the States we have talked about uh, the other big players and what they're doing. And yet, YouTube was always the traditional, mm. you, you know, it was only five, six years ago that YouTube was the video platform. And suddenly that's been dissipated mm. in, in quite a significant ways. So I wonder if there's a, a slight rearguard action where they're thinking we have to be part of this or, or, or we are going to become irrelevant. But
2: I just just don't see myself turning there to watch those big kind of TV shows. It's just there's something about the brand that I do associate it with the kind of thing that Boyd's talking about, and it's really good at that. I go to YouTube to see an instruction manual on how to put a gadget together, I just wouldn't yeah, think I'm going to sit and watch their big new splashy TV show but
3: in the end if you click on your smart TV and there's a YouTube just a button there and you just need to click on it to watch yeah. some 100 million new series starring someone quite famous from Harry Potter films mm. then, you will watch, then, most, then you will watch it good
1: content were out and it's not that yeah. many years ago that we would have said well no one's going to go and watch video content on Amazon because all they do is sell yeah. goods and mm. books so mm. why am I going to go right. there I, and I, I, on this occasion I completely Thanks. agree with Boyd which is yes. when I look at my TV um, my, my smart TV yeah, I have Netflix and Amazon Prime and YouTube, and all just competing for me to press that one button to take to to go into their platform.
2: Okay, I'm just going to do a quick Boyd-style curveball. Actually, since you mentioned this, and Boyd's here, I just want to ask you: Do you agree with me that the Amazon Prime Video app is crap? Like, it looks bad; it's clunky. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, What's that about? I do about? agree. What well, even of the most, more? The biggest company in the world. Yeah,
3: looks crap. Even more interestingly, I, I think the whole. Brand doesn't work because it's a confusing proposition. Because it, it's part of a subscription to get stuff sent to you quickly as yeah. well. Prime, you know, yeah. Prime, and it needs to be its own thing. And I've always thought it's, it, it just hasn't got the sexiness of Netflix. No. And I know Steve mentioned that in terms of uh, um, signing up new subscribers, it's it's at a fast pace, but still it's still lagging way behind Netflix. And in terms of content, it's even further behind. You know, there's maybe one two. Really, really excellent, transparent is the best, and that's in a huge amount of trouble now as well if it's talking specific content. Mm. So I think it's incredible how Netflix has cornered that market in being a cool brand, and Amazon feels in-
2: absolutely way behind. But then Steve's right about
3: content, because I still go there
2: to watch The Looming Tower even though it's clunky. Sure. So maybe, maybe, maybe you're yes, right. The, the content's good enough, you will go there, yeah. Okay, let's talk about digital radio and listening on digital, and that doesn't just mean DAB does it, Steve? That means all kinds of digital, online streaming, phones, everything. It,
1: when they first launched DAB, it used to mean DAB and then they realised they were never going to get to that 50% <laughs> threshold, <laughs> so it suddenly meant everything that wasn't uh, terrestrial. But anyway,
2: uh, it has overtaken Analog for the first time this week, hitting 50%. Point nine
1: percent. Why was that fifty percent target important, Steve? Because uh, that fifty percent target is the government has always said that it's only when um, listening exceeds fifty percent that they will start to consider a switch off of um, terrestrial. It's never going to happen, is it? I and mean, basically, it's just not going to happen, is it? Uh, if you ask me personally, I, don't, I I think we're still a long way away, and um, yeah, I mean, I can't. I certainly can't see that happening within the next. Few years and the, the the constant drive has been particularly, I think, from the commercial radio companies because, understandably, there is a huge expense for them in uh, in transmission costs in terms of having to go yeah. on an FM license as well as a, a DAB. Signal, but it's very difficult to obviously see a scenario where a government is going to turn off a radio signal until you are at 90% plus penetration. But also from a
2: government point of view, yeah, okay, they can listen to the likes of Global and Bauer saying this is costing us loads of money to broadcast across two things, but then they'll also have community stations saying, fine, we'll take the capital frequency. You can't really say, well, you can't have it. You can't have access to my grandmother and her FM radio, which exists and costs nothing. It just doesn't make sense.
3: Yeah, but I think it will happen eventually because, because you know, it, feel, it feels like, um, you know, we've reached this threshold, which is an important, you know, moment, if you like, a significant moment, interesting moment. And, you know, in, I'm not saying it's going to happen quickly, but, you know, five, ten years' time, if it, when, it's hit, when it's hitting 70, 80, 90%, that will be the point where
2: it suddenly becomes viable, yeah, and
3: then digital will have truly taken over.
2: <laughs> okay, well, we'll bring you back and see if you are wrong about that one. <laughs> Talk of digital listening, uh, the way my mum now listens to this, is through her smart speaker. And Amazon and Google have both announced this week that their smart speakers will encourage kids to say please and thank you from now on. The software forms part of Echo Dot's Kids Edition and Google Assistant's Pretty Please software. That's a creepy name for an app, isn't it? Um... (laughs) Boy, do you think home assistants have made us rude?
3: No. This is the biggest nonsense I've ever heard. Because in, in the same story, later on, when you actually look at it, it, it points out that ev- children are aware of the fact they're talking to an inanimate object and a piece of technology mm. and not a live physical human being who they'll still say please and thank you to in real life because they're being talked to so by their parents. So it's having no effect. People They can say what they like to the bloody Alexa thing in the corner. I was like, you know, I'm, I swear at mine when it starts speaking to me at two in the morning, for no good reason whatsoever. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to say please and thank you to you yes. and we say goodbye later on this podcast. So it's absolute nonsense. It must be It must be some PRs dreamt this up, this story, to give some publicity to Alexa.
2: Controversially, Steve, I don't think it is nonsense. I think if all day you're saying commands that don't have please or thank you in them, it, it makes sense that you'd have a dis- disposition
1: in the long term to start ditching some manners. Well, potentially. I'm, I, I think I'm probably with Boyd that, 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 it, that it's a PR story, but I think there's something quite interesting behind it which is, uh, you know, there's a huge amount of research now showing how, with the adoption of smart speakers, once they get into the lounge or the communal family areas, they become a plaything for, for the children in the home. Mm. Uh, children interact with it a lot and obviously that's I wish uh, you know, I'd never I've, taught my two year olds that <laughs>
2: yeah. you could just ask the thin air to play the theme from Blaze and the Monster Machines because it's exactly. really <laughs> terrible.
1: Exactly that and, 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 and as we know there's the uh, the new version of Dot that's come out that I think is is, is aimed at kids and is, is more kiddie friendly in terms of its, its look and appearance. So I think that's probably what's actually behind this in terms of it, it, it's trying to push more to families. I mean I'll tell you a really fascinating bit of research which you may or may not have come across which is that Certainly in America, uh, the adoption of smart speakers is now quicker than the adoption of smartphones was. And when you think about that and you think about how many you know how the iphone and, and samsung phones and smartphones have become an everyday part of our lives the speed of take up of smart speaker is now quicker and that really throws a fascinating insight into where we're going with search and audio and the place of audio in the in the home and eventually the car as well now there is just time for our media quiz can i just raise a point of order i feel terribly handicapped here in terms of i'm against the uk's preeminent tv <laughs> critic who who by the way was at the LAUGHTER
2: I don't know what you mean, Steve. This is entirely fair. Um, we are doing a quiz about the BAFTA winners. Uh, buzz in with your name when you know the answer. So, Steve, you will say... Loser. And Boyd, you will say... Boyd. Fastest voice box first. That's a reference to Clarkson. Let's go. Channel 5 won their first proper Boyd. BAFTA, Boyd. Cruising with Jay MacDonald. That's what you do at the weekend, but <laughs> the answer yes is cruising with Jay McDonald. Yes, which won the what award? Features. Correct. What did it beat for an extra point? Oh, Antics Roadshow. Yes. One. Yeah. You remember and the other two? What are the other two? I this is
3: remember, hard. Oh, oh. Do you know? Because I had to kind of know this stuff like a week ago. You've it's had too much shampoo by <laughs> I, that point. I've had too
2: much champagne. It's <laughs> made me ill. Yeah. Uh, it um, be no more boys and girls. Oh yeah. Which was the transgender yes. sort of thing, wasn't and it? And the secret life of the zoo. Secret life of yes. the zoo. Very good. Um, is cruising with Jane McDonald <laughs> good? Then no, it's terrible. <laughs> Do
3: you know what? It's <laughs> it's really funny because I was interviewed. <laughs> I was interviewed about this by the great Vanessa Feltz. Yes. On her radio London show the uh-huh. morning after the Baptists, and she was absolutely. Gobsmacked, or, you know. She was like, "This is rubbish the show's rubbish She was really obsessed about how terrible it is. And I mean, it's—I have watched it, and a lot of it is actually Jane McDonald walking around with a, like a, like a, almost like an iPhone, filming herself. Mm. You know. And I hosted the winners' press conference at the BAFTAs, and there's another reason why you're at disadvantage, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure. So I, I interviewed Jane and her about about winning her BAFTA. She was. Unbelievably shocked and stunned. Mm. And the first thing she said to me was, It's our silly little show, and you know, if you cobble together, a producer stay next to go and we don't cobble it together, it's a highly <laughs> professional operation, Jane. So I think they're amazed. Everyone is amazed. It's funny though, and I, but I'd love to have been a fly on wall on that jury. Yeah. Well,
2: this thing, so it's not like it's voted for by the audience. No, it's a jury of, of a panel TV of experts, experience, documentary Absolutely. producers. Uh, There's something lovable about
3: you. it. I think is what I would say. I'm. I imagine someone like Twelve Angry Men. You know, some juror must have gone, "Look, this is the most lovable, charming, amazing thing. Let's give it a buff." to everyone, everyone went, "Yeah, why not?"
2: Right. Here's question number two. Which award winner's outfit was emblazoned with the words Swindon Boys. and Mucklow? Daisy May Cooper from this country. Steve, you have controversially lost the quiz already.
1: Well, uh, you know, if you'd have given me another uh, three sentences, I would have got there. Can I just, by the way, at this point, when we're talking about this show, give a big shout out for Tom George, who is the... Uh, director and I think I think maybe one of the co-writers but he's certainly one of the driving forces behind that show yeah because he's one of something else's own he he sort of uh-huh. I, I know he won't mind me saying he grew up at, at uh, some, uh, something else we still work with him a lot but we're I'm so delighted to see him win that because every time he's been coming in the office for a number of years now he's been telling us about this project I've got this great project and he is he's is a wonderful bloke he's a very very talented guy and I'm absolutely delighted to see him win a BAFTA for that don't know
2: what to do When people bring Genuine emotion Into the podcast <laughs> uh, But thank you for that um, Here is What would be the decider If it wasn't obvious That Boyd was going to win Question number three Buzzing when you know The answer What moment Won Blue Planet To the Oh, oh, wa- oh Steve 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 I'm going to give it to Steve, Steve. It
1: was the whale And the plastic uh, yes. Bit. Oh It, was, it wasn't uh, specifically plastic Actually Oh no no, no. Uh, you
2: got to give him that No, no He's was, giving it, us the context Not the answer oh, Well wasn't
1: the plastic Trap trapped in the but pup what, or But what happened The, the pup died Yes or,
2: yeah. And so the moment was
1: <laughs> oh. she, What
2: was she doing What's the word? Oh, oh, she, wh- what?
1: She was upset? You're bereaved? She yeah, was upset. She was upset. <laughs> she was upset. <laughs> I'm yeah. upset grieving, that Grieving was the word. Grieving, <laughs> grieving, <yeah. laughs> upset whale. Upset <laughs>
2: whale. Yeah, the upset whale won it. Uh, which beat, <laughs> for a bonus point, Void. It beat um, Line of Duty, yes. Game of Thrones, Yes.
3: the Manchester One Love concert. Yes. Um, and the unveiling of Doctor Who.
2: Very good. Um, and a, a sounding ovation for David Attenborough is basically for being alive at that point, wasn't it? Did, you, there was that moment in the and I don't, I don't in any <laughs> way begrudge him, but it was that well, it was a classic thing of like, oh, Attenborough's on stage, let's get to our oh, feet, wasn't I mean- it?
3: To get Attenborough there is just brilliant. You know, he also came to the Winners Press Conference hosted by
2: me and I got to chat to him about it. Yeah. Was he as charming as you He, he was fantastic, yeah. absolutely. Ollie,
1: can I just ask, you? I'm a bit unsure about You're not going to say
2: Attenborough grew up at something else. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: But I'm unsure who, who hosted the Winners Conference at the BAFTA. So <laughs> no can, we, can we just clarify okay,
2: that? Well, <laughs> in case you're in any doubt as to who won, it was Boyd. Uh, thank you to Boyd Hilton and to Steve Ackerman. You can join thousands of others who get new episodes as soon as they're released by subscribing for free on our website, themediapodcast.com. And if you're feeling even more generous, you can help us keep doing what we do best by donating to the cause. Just visit themediapodcast.com slash donate and select a voluntary subscription that suits you. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Rebecca Grisdale. sherry The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. Planning for your next trip?